you're at in your little time zone my spooky little creepsters welcome to tonight's episode of spooky skeptics i have with me and the beautiful tanya one rob christopherson from our strange skies and then super duper researcher extraordinaire and cryptozoologist cole harold so rob why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your pod and what you do and all of that good stuff yeah, so I am the host of the Our Strange Skies podcast, which is uh, a podcast that delves into UFO accounts from the past. I tend to stay away from the newer stuff because it's just not where I'm really interested in. But I've been researching UFO cases now for the last seven years. And uh, yeah, that's uh, it's brought me here. <laughs> so have you personally seen a UFO? Yes. Yeah, I've seen, okay. I've seen a couple of ufos i had a really cool. close encounter uh in 2015 uh i saw this like egg-shaped object at work and it was like it, it was so it's such a close encounter that like it was under a thousand feet in the air and it that's was crazy just, yeah it was, it was a really i'm so fucking jealous <laughs> <laughs> i'm not it's the one thing i want it's the one thing i freaking want is to see a ufo all right maybe one day it'll have to happen you gotta make it i don't know i know i gotta manifest that shit into being so cool our listeners know you but why don't you tell them what you've been doing with yourself lately anything new you're working on uh nothing actually really new i mean i just moved to the new to a new place and there's been a lot of setting up there so uh, that's pretty much been preoccupying a lot of my time right now. Uh, I haven't had a chance to go out and really do much of anything <laughs> of late. But um, other than that, I mean, I've just been uh, setting up and looking at some older cases and things like that. So that's about it. Good deal. Good deal. All right. So tonight, my spooksters, we are talking about the Betty and Barney Hill case. Did it happen or is it a hoax? So, Rob, why don't you tell our listeners the the basic bones of the case, the encounter for us, please? Sure. So Betty and Barney Hill, they were an interracial couple from New Hampshire, and they had met in the summer of 1956, uh, there were mutual friends that introduced them. And uh, over time, they kind of started to, ve- to develop this relationship. Um, they they were both married, um, both in kind of unhappy oh, marriages. I didn't know that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. we got some tea. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, uh feel bad for betty because her husband bob stewart was running around on her and uh, you know and uh she eventually just uh you know uh met barney and they slowly over time fell in love until they got married in may of 1960 and they had both moved to new hampshire by that time and uh barney he was uh working for 
the U.S. Postal System. He had actually transferred to Boston's Southern Annex, and his schedule was grueling because it was 120 miles round trip uh, for him to make Ugh. this journey every day to work. And, That's icky. Yeah, yeah and be- <laughs> Betty was a social worker, so she just like had a lot of cases, so they didn't really get a lot of time to spend together. So. Uh. On Friday, September 15th, 1961, Barney goes into work that day and he's decide, he, he comes to the this uh, decision that, you know what, he's going to take a few days off, but he's got some vacation time. They'll just take this impromptu trip up to Canada to Niagara Falls, go walk around Montreal and stuff. So they put in for the few days off and... um. They they did this as thrifty as they could because uh, they didn't have a lot of money, so they took some food with them. They had their uh, dog, Delcy, who is like um, – if you see pictures of Betty and Barney Hill, like that dog you can tell has seen things. Like, the oh, yeah. <laughs> I saw one earlier Excuse yeah. me, that I was looking through, and I'm like, that dog looks like – yeah. That dog is haunted. Yeah. <laughs> He's severely haunted. He's got some PTSD, that is for sure. Yeah. But uh yeah, they they set off Sunday, September seventeenth. They travel across Vermont and New York, um, and you know, make it all the way over to Niagara Falls and Toronto and they decide to cut back. Um there's a couple of points where Barney kind of uh, misses a turn, gets lost a little bit, uh, you know, attempts to get his bearings back and stuff like that. This trip is not the best for them. Uh, they they kind of, um, th- there were a lot of missteps here. They, they tried renting a room one night, but they wouldn't rent to him because, you know, racism, yeah. Yeah, basically. Sure. Oh, yeah. God, back so, then? Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. It was a real so, big deal then. Yeah, yeah it, it was um, yeah. for and in in Canada of all places, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, they, this trip was just not the best for them. So okay. uh, as they're kind of uh, you know driving around, they hear this broadcast that says uh, "Tropical Storm Esther." is going to be slamming into southern portions of New Hampshire the next day. So they just decided right then and there uh, on the night of the 19th, we'll just cut this trip short. We're going to head back. We want to make it back before the storm uh, makes makes land. So they start driving through the night. And... They stop in Colebrook, get a little bite to eat. Um, you know, Betty talks about this like piece of chocolate layer cake that she really enjoyed, and and Barney's like chowing down on a burger and stuff. They didn't really <laughs> linger long because they they really wanted to make that good time. So they depart the restaurant at about ten, and they're driving towards uh, the town of Groveton, and it's about twenty or so miles from Groveton that uh, Barney pulls over the car uh, just to uh, let the dog out and to go to the bathroom, brings a 32 pistol with him. Cause he's scared of bears, but um, there's this light 
in the sky that Betty sees. And she goes and she grabs some binoculars, looks out, and silhouetted against the mood is what she describes as kind of this like wingless cigar. It's like, uh, it's long, it's kind of cylindrical looking. And Barney's just kind of dismissive. He, uh, you know, he's he's the, the the massive skeptic in this case. It's just like, nah, it's nothing. Don't don't worry about it. Put it out of your mind. Um, did he see it, but, or did he at this point? Yeah. Did he see it? Oh, okay. Yeah, he did see it. Um, and Betty was kind of she was interested in UFOs because of a sighting that her sister had. And, um, which is, which is, uh, Kathleen Martin's mother, who is, um, she's played a part in abduction research for a long time now. And she just, she thought it was interesting. She just kind of kept it in the back of her mind and, uh, they kept driving on and like there, there's this tension that's like kind of rising up because there's this object and it's keeping up with their car and it's kind of just like descending over time as they keep going uh they make it to a a place called franconia notch and this is where they see like the ufo like it it passes behind this restaurant that's at the top of cannon mountain uh this kind of infamous restaurant and they see the lights of the restaurant go out um this is around 11 10 p.m so uh you know they just kind of assume that yeah, maybe they closed for the night or something like that. Um, UFOs kind of have that reputation of kind of uh, being able to disable electronics and stuff. So maybe mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, put out the lights or something. You never know. But right. um, they keep going and they make it to a spot uh, that it, that doesn't exist there anymore in the forum, but it uh, it was called the uh, old man of the mountain. Um, and you know, you, if you Google old pictures, it does look like this face in the rocks uh, that looks like a, an old man's face. So he pulls it over again a, a second time and uh, he, they get out and, and Barney thinks that this has got to be some kind of military plane or something like that and there was one incident living in philadelphia that he recalls he had gone on i think uh like a vacation somewhere at a lake and there was this plane that ended up like dive bombing where they were uh and you know pulling back up doing like mark one in the process and like with that thought in your head like oh yeah it's got to be military they're they're just right. probably just messing with us and stuff like that because you know they did they they didn't recall really passing anybody on the road they're the only people on the road this night so they stop they have a look they confirm that you know what they're seeing is real there's something um they get back in and eventually Further down the road, Barney is forced to stop the car as there's this object that he describes as a big, big pancake with windows and lights, um, like one giant light. Uh, he sees like windows and stuff in this thing, but it like it, it does look like kind of like a flat pancake. It's got these kind of 
wings on the side that come out a little bit. They got red lights on them. He just assumed that it had to be a, a military helicopter right. and they were messing with them. Right. Like, this right. is, yeah, it's it's conventional. That's what it's And the 60s be. weren't known for being, like, fancy free unless you're on, like, a lot of drugs. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Like, so he was probably a very no-nonsense sort of guy. Probably, yeah. It yeah. was like, you know, he's, where, where his wife is going, alien! He's going, no, babe, calm down. <laughs> you know? Right, Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about a guy who was uh, who had seen action in World War II. He right. uh, he had a disability because of a grenade, um, oh. which which caused him to have dentures. So, oh, um, yeah. Uh, but there yeah, were there were that. other issues that he had around this time. He was also diagnosed with an ulcer because of like the stress of of the everyday job and stuff. But like he sees this object and it kind of slowly makes its way across the road and into this field. Um, and this object just kind of hovers over this field. So Barney walks away from the car, goes to kind of the edge of this field. And he's got these binoculars and he's looking through um, and he sees eight, um, eight to 11 figures that are, by, at these windows and they're kind of looking at them and there's one that he describes as kind of this like uh, irish <laughs> red-headed dude um and <laughs> he, he starts That's weird for an alien right. yeah <laughs> exactly uh he, he starts yeah. like, damn caring... they went everywhere first <laughs> yeah. yes exactly that's fair that is fair um he he also describes like um one one piece of imagery that he keeps coming back to is like kind of like a Nazi officer uniform. So like you know oh. it's like a shiny black military style outfit right. with a cap, and uh, has one of them has a scarf, and he keeps getting this mental message in his head as he's looking through these binoculars. Just like just stay looking, just keep looking. Uh, you know, don't stop looking. Um, and this um, this being that uh, he's hearing in his head uh, just basically says, "You know, we're gonna we're gonna come over. Don't worry about it." So <laughs> Barney just kind of starts about pleading. It. <laughs> yeah, I'd be very worried about it. <laughs> right, I'm worried at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a bit. Like right. I don't, I don't <laughs> like. You want me to do what? No, yeah, that's, I'm worried. That's crazy talk. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, he, he starts basically pleading with God and he has to rip the binoculars from his eyes, but, um, about five minutes had passed and he runs back to the vehicle. They get back in and they're pretty much hauling ass. They are rolling down the road and they pass by a, a place called Clark's trading post, um, there's like no lights or anything like that. Um, but they proceed this series of beeping sounds and it causes the car to vibrate a little bit. Um, it didn't really affect their driving, but like these, these sounds and stuff are kind of unnatural. And then um, they find themselves just kind of coasting further on and they hear a second set of beeping sounds in the town of Ashland. And that's when they kind of like, there's kind of this clarity 
like there is this idea that whatever they had encountered has passed behind them. And you see this in certain other abduction cases, like uh, there's a, a kind of an infamous abduction case in the 70s called the Allagash abductions, uh, in which these four guys gone camping in the remote wilderness of Maine, and they're out on the lake, and they see this UFO, and they decide to signal it with a flashlight. And this UFO kind of drops down a beam of light into the water and it it starts to chase them. And, you know, they're like paddling like crazy. There's one guy in the back of the boat that's like, dude, I'm fine with this. I I just kind of want to stay and watch this thing, you know, not paddling or anything. But like they're trying to basically Uh race a UFO to shore. Like, what are you going to do? But like, it's a UFO. Yeah. It's about you. It can see yeah. you. <laughs> what are you going to do? But like, they essentially, um, in in one moment, they're just like struggling to get away from this mm-hmm. thing, and then the next moment, they're all standing on shore, looking up at this UFO as it like goes away, like a cutscene, and that's kind of what happens oh, wow. here. So they make the rest of the trip home. They make they get in at about five a.m. and they're just like kind of there's like some odd things here like at one point Barney wanted to go out and get the luggage but Betty didn't want him to because she felt like it was radioactive which is an odd thing to think no. that is an odd yeah. thing to think yeah. not like a regular person wouldn't that right. wouldn't be something that would you think about right but, when were um, they doing the nuclear testing though was that at the same time because it was like when everybody was building a bunker and had a, bomb shelters. You know, everybody had shelters. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of that building was still happening in the sixties. Right. Like that was big in the fifties, and yeah. I'm sure some yeah. of it was happening in the sixties because, like, there there were you know kind of silos all over. There was a, right. a missile silo um, about like an hour and a half from where I am, and. Uh, the guy basically bought it and fixed it up, and it's his home now, which is yeah. I was about cool. to say some people live in them, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, they they kind of just had these odd thoughts, right. and and one of the first things that they did is that they went into separate rooms and they drew what they had experienced, and and they basically drew the same thing. The same kind of object. See, that's weird. Right. Yeah. Um, so they um they basically, you know, take showers, go to bed, wake up around three o'clock in the afternoon, and that's when Betty calls her sister and says and it explains what had happened. And she she eventually, uh, Betty's sister calls this physicist friend that she has, and he suggests that she hold a compass to the car to see how it would react. So um, she does. She goes out. It's like raining like crazy. Hurricane Esther is kind of, you know, uh, dumping a bunch of water. So she goes yeah. out there and um, she has this uh, compass and it just starts spinning wildly 
when she places it over the trunk, which is also coincidentally where she heard the beeping sounds. And what oh, she notices that's weird. <laughs> yeah. And what she notices is that there's these highly polished circles, like half dollar size. There's like I think like a dozen or so of them on that on the trunk of the car. So that's an odd thing. They'd never yeah, they like weren't there. Those come from. Right. But um before long um, as the days passed beyond this, Barney started to develop some kind of anxieties, especially when he was on the road at at, at night coming back for, for work uh-huh. or going to work because he, he worked at night and he would get really anxious about driving rural roads at night. Like PTSD. Um, PTSD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Um, and... And that's also a common theme in the, in the abduction mm-hmm. stories that, that, that you hear. Well, about. I'd have it if some little alien came and got me. <laughs> yeah. I'd surely uh, have yeah. some PTSD. <laughs> well, exactly. I want to see a UFO. I never want to meet an alien. So there's that. Right. <laughs> so, you know, on top of that, Betty's having these like really odd dreams. Um, very you have, like five like, of Im- them. Yeah. Like that involve these like UFOs and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah, but eventually they they get into contact with Pease Air Force Base. Pease Air Force Base takes kind of an interest in this case. There's some other people that do. Um, there's an investigator from NICAP that comes out, does an investigation. Walter Webb, um, he wrote he writes this lengthy report on the incident, and it's kind of from there that. Um, you know, like these two IBM employees kind of get involved with the case and stuff like that. But eventually they, uh, oh, I, I, I got to bring this up because Project Blue Book, um, which was the government UFO study at the time, did investigate this case. And one of the first things, uh, like they they didn't, one thing that they said that this UFO was, was an advertising airplane flying at night which makes no no sense whatsoever shop at dicks <laughs> right <laughs> right in the middle of the night in because that's when area. i go shopping yes in the mountains yep. yes mm-hmm. yeah yep so eventually as uh you know years progress they get they end up going to see psychiatrists therapists and mm-hmm. stuff and there's one odd thing that Betty remembers and like there's one point while the UFO is chasing them that she says that they were stopped by like kind of road work gentlemen doing road work which is very strange because like nobody's really doing road work at night so you kind of well now didn't they both say they lost time too yes yes On their way home, yeah. Yeah. And there was something about her dress. Yeah, yeah. Some substance Um, on her dress, some pink powder or something. Yep. I think that's in my notes, pink powder. Yep. (laughs) So eventually, you know, they they see this therapist. uh, He, he, um, and and they try to, and they, they have this desire to, 
um, explore their experiences through hypnosis. They want to know, you know, get to the bottom of it, what it is. Yeah. And for a while, their therapist just didn't recommend it. Right. Um, And it's ultimately, uh, it's not until a few years later that um, Dr. Benjamin Simon is suggested to do the hypnosis because there really was no stopping them. They were going to do it whether whether they wanted them to or not. So um, Benjamin Simon's uh, well-renowned kind of, um, he he had garnered a reputation during World War II as a guy who treated, uh, you know, kind of like shell shock and stuff, uh, PTSD. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, coming back from the war, um, soldiers suffering from things like hysterical blindness, uh, psychological conditions, he would hypnotize them to get to the root of the problem. And he had a really high kind of like success rate doing it. Yeah. And he was eventually featured in this like documentary called um, There Will Be Light, I think is what it was called, but like. That sounds familiar. It does. Yeah, from it's from back in the um, in the forties or the fifties or something like that. But uh, world renowned guy, good with hypnosis, took an interest in it in like nineteen twenty two while he was, um, uh, I think, with like Harvard University at the time. And oh, okay, yeah, he uh, he eventually goes into private practice. He he kind of implements it into his own practice and um they come to him and his methods are are interesting because he doesn't hypnotize them together he hypnotizes them separately um and eventually what unfolds throughout their story is that they were barney makes this kind of sudden turn down a road and he stopped by essentially by the UFO and there's these beings that get out and they escort them on board the craft and they're examined separately. Mm-hmm. Barney, uh, kind of your routine kind of physical exam that you, you hear in abduction accounts over and over again. Um, they had a particular fascination with his dentures because like, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Like his teeth came out, Betty's didn't. And they thought that was weird. Uh, <laughs> Good thing they didn't TikTok. just keep on trying. With, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Betty went through an examination of her own. Betty's experiences were far different from than Barney's Barney's. Uh, he was a lot more fearful uh, of what they were doing to him with Betty. Uh, there was fear, but at a certain point it was the, um, her abductors were kind of, you know, letting her ask questions and they would give answers and, uh, they showed her the star map of where they came from. And, uh, there was one point, uh, where, um, they were going to let her leave with a book that they had on board, and then oh. the rest of the crew kind of turned against her and, and against that decision. Like, no, she can't leave with this book. 
And I'll, I'll tell you, she had to have been a ballsy broad because mm-hmm. it was rare back then to even get divorced for right. philandering, whatever. That's what guys did, you know, whatever. And then <laughs> to marry a person of color, she right. had to have, have balls. Okay, because she had to be strong and she had to be brave. Whereas what I get from Barney was he had a lot more PTSD. He was in the war. He was, you know, but I mean, she had to have been a ballsy broad. So I don't find that part of the story surprising because if she woke up and was aware, she would be like any of us and be like, okay, so what's this? What's that? What's this? I mean, I'd get chucked Mm. out a window, you know? So, yeah. all right, go on. I'm sorry. It just <laughs> struck me that she had to have been ballsy and brave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, just for what she did with her regular life, aside from this encounter. Right. You yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, uh, they go through these hypnosis sessions. You know, the story comes forward. Um, Dr. Simon is kind of put is forced into this corner that he doesn't want to be because everything that is coming out during these hypnosis sessions goes against you know everything that he has ever learned or whole done. Right. The community right yeah, yeah. right so, academia itself so he eventually decides that um what they experienced is actually a product of betty's dreams and of Betty telling Barney about her dreams yeah, and how it kind of like colors everything in, in this case, but um, they weren't totally uh, satisfied with that conclusion. And there's interesting ancillary kind of incidents that uh, a lot of people don't really know about. Like for instance, there's this one time, uh, one weekend when they went out to do something with some friends, you know, had locked up their house and everything like that. They came back and they found this pile of leaves on their table. And underneath this pile of leaves were these were these earrings that Betty was wearing the night that they were abducted. They went missing and she didn't know, you know, what had happened to them. But here they right. are sitting underneath this pile of leaves that's creepy that is creepy <laughs> i mean regardless now creepy. they're stalkers not only are they kidnappers right exactly they're stalkers. <laughs> yeah that's but, creepy um, no matter what <laughs> yeah uh but that's pretty much the the story there barney died in 1969 um from a brain aneurysm and uh betty died in uh, I forget exactly what year it was, but she went um, on quite a while past him, didn't she? Yeah, she yeah. did. Yeah, um, and unfortunately, she lost a lot of credibility because she kind of went a little batshit bonkers in her she, older age, and that's did. part of what the hoaxy problem is with with this is she did lose a lot of credibility in her later years. Yeah, and, and I mean, like the there are always those folks who you know when they start talking about other experiences that they had beyond this, they start to lose ca- uh, credibility. It's uh, in the UFO world back in the day, they called it the repeater problem, which is like, you know, the more experiences you have, the less believable you see to and right. see, are, mm-hmm. are seen to investigators. Yeah. And w- with Betty uh, on top of her experiences, because she, she basically, said that she could summon ufos basically at a certain point 
she had had oh. um, other <laughs> uh, UFO experiences in like the the 60s and the 70s. She was also a UFO investigator mm-hmm. with APRO for a number of years. But uh, oh. yeah, that's that's pretty much the story. All right, oh, thank you so much, Rob. That was really great. Um, all right, Cole. So I'm kind of with Rick on this. Where yeah, I'm on the fence about. Well, Rick Don't is totally ever be with Rick. No, okay, Rick and I. It turns out we we actually agree about a lot of stuff. It's That's so weird. So sad. I know. I'm actually disappointed in myself. Yeah. So what kind of <laughs> what kind of evidence is out there, Cole, that supports? what betty and barney hill said happened to them is there any like what we would consider hard evidence to support it um well with the betty and barney hill case you can really break down all of the evidence into three different types of categories you have the physical evidence which gets into um for example uh betty's dress uh-huh. which had um, not only the pink powdery substance, um, which she found uh, after she had uh, put it away um, during her events. And I believe she recovered it in 1964 after she started her hypnotic um, sessions. Um, had she not washed it since then? No, actually. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, seriously. <laughs> no, no, actually. Upon returning home, she she noticed that there was some tears in it. And that there was almost a complete um, disassociation with the with the clothing. Like she didn't want anything to do with it. And this dress was brand new. Yeah, this dress was brand new when she had got it. And um, she literally put it into the back of her closet and she left it there for years until. Okay, that's relatable. uh, Sorry, I I think my I have a wedding dress from 20 years ago in mind. That's completely relatable. Aliens in general, not good with zippers. That's the one thing I learned. Through this not good with zippers. Yeah. yeah no. I wonder yeah, what they zippers. use. What do they use? Like buttons? They got those long, skinny fingers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stretchy material that just, I don't know, whatever. Random it's a rant. The things out. that keep me up at night is ridiculous <laughs> at this point. All right, Cole, I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're good. Um, <laughs> But the, so that was uh, that's a big one. And I can and I'm going to get back to that in a little bit. But okay, the dress. Uh, yep. another thing is Barney's pants. They had um, a peculiar type of prickler on it that he couldn't acquire for. Didn't really know exactly how that came about. And also his sh- the tops of his shoes were completely scuffed and tore. Oh. And um, that's, that's kind of one of the like things. The tops. Yeah, that's yeah. that's. One of the big things about that was is the fact that people who knew Barney said that he was a meticulous dresser. In other words, like he was so uh, really a stickler about his appearance that his mm-hmm. shoes never would have gotten that way. His pants would have never gotten that way. And even that was kind yeah. of one of the things that upon returning home, he commented was about his shoes. Um, so that was another thing where uh, it almost appears as though when he had this experience, that he was dragged above, like his feet were touching the ground and being Turned dragged. Upside, yeah, so, yeah, that would do that. Um, yeah. So that goes into again the physical elements. Um, what another did you say was on his pants. Uh, they were like pricklers, prickly things. Well, didn't he like sand spur kind yes, of things? Yeah, but he took the dog for a walk, didn't he? Um, I he did, do- but. 
they he was he was taking him the dog through like you know kind of like you know it was grass that wasn't like incredibly tall so like uh it wasn't during that uh, that That moment that he had experienced that yeah um but so there was that element there uh with the physical evidence then you also have the psychological evidence which is when you get really into even though it's a little bit more questionable the hypnosis tapes themselves because if you listen to them they are eerie they are haunting they are these incredibly disturbing tapes and it's um something that when you hear that in this voice you realize that in at least in that moment when he's recounting this tale he is in that pure fear drive and that's something that i would imagine would be almost without being untrained extremely difficult to hoax yeah Uh, right so that's another piece of evidence too aside from the, the tapes themselves, um, which go, of course, into also the PTSD um, behavior before even the hypnosis began. That, that sort of indicates or is the precursor to all this and sort of adds it to it, that they're already behaving like something happened or that something wasn't, right. something wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, um, so you have that. And then you also have the uh, the third type of evidence, which is the fact that there was about 12 to 14 people who reported seeing a craft that almost I- was identical to what the Hills saw within oh, okay. the hours of their abduction. So you have corroborating eyewitness mm-hmm. evidence there, too, um, as well as the fact that this craft was seen prior in California, I believe, Kentucky and Indiana. So you the have same night. No, not the same night, but oh. bef- but beforehand. So yeah. you have so you have the hills who might not have even have heard of these alternative right. accounts, and from what I've been able to dig up, they've they haven't um, of seeing an almost identical craft. So that sort of gets into that whole corroborative evidence there too. Right. But the physical evidence is perhaps the most interesting especially when you also look at the um the magnetization at the trunk and the the big uh silver dollar nickel sized spots and things like that i mean that's something that literally you happened in a matter of well a couple of hours um from when they from when they're on the vacation you're gonna notice that suddenly these spots appear beforehand and there's not really too much that would do that outside of a buffer so yeah and even then a it car was, buffer yeah yeah and even then that's kind of what they described it is it was like the same color as the trunk but just extremely shiny yeah um but then even then that doesn't explain the magnetization of the trunk right that's true so there's all these different aspects of the evidence and um one of the benefits of this case i would say is the fact that a lot of the materials that were from that night we still have so we can still run tests on them. Um, they had just done a documentary. I believe it was earlier this year. It could have been last year. I'm not quite sure. Um, and they did a, a test on Betty's dress. And the dress is extremely interesting and one of the big things. But um, upon flipping the dress inside out, 
they had noticed that there was fluid right around the area of the navel. Um, and there was three specific spots. And upon doing DNA tests, they did find that the, what this fluid was is that it did come from Betty. So it confirms that something was inserted around the area of her navel and that it was leaking out onto the dress. So Don't they do that with one of those? I mean, I've never had babies, but Trina has. Don't yeah. they do that on those tests? Yeah. Those yeah, amniocentesis tests. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was yeah. a moment during the um, examination when one of the beings said, produced this kind of like long needle and Ooh. inserted it Ooh. into her abdomen and basically said, we're, we're going to, we're giving you basically a pregnancy test. So yeah, yeah that supports that. It was amniocentesis. Yeah. Hey, on a yeah. stick. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about cleared Louie. No, yeah. back then I think that's when they the rabbit died. They killed like they the gave rabbit. Some, yeah. yeah, they did yeah. Gave something to the oh. rabbit. If the rabbit died, and you yeah. were pregnant. That's how they tested okay. you. What okay. a lovely yep. way to find out. I don't remember pregnant. like how they did it, but if the rabbit died, it was bad fucking yeah. news. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, you're good. Um, <laughs> The the interesting thing about this, too, and I just actually kind of thought about this as we were talking about it with the amniocentesis, is um, does anyone have an idea when that started? Because It, wasn't, it was after 1961. After. I do oh, remember. It? Okay, okay, because... No it was iffy even in the 90s when I had my kids. They only did it if they thought your baby was in danger. A Down syndrome okay. or something. Yeah. Okay. Because that's interesting because of something that Betty in one of the, the regression tapes says is, I don't know what they were expected, but that's not like any kind of pregnancy test that we've ever had. Well, right. here, lo and lo and behold, however many years later, and that's something that's now or being used. So right. that's that's incredibly interesting. But um, another uh, piece of evidence is the um, the star map. Which, oh yeah, which that to me is perhaps one of the most interesting because of the fact that uh, it was basically taken by. Um, Marjorie Fisher, I believe her name was. Marjorie Fish, yeah. Yeah, Marjorie Fish. And she basically was able to look at this and compare it with the updated atlas of that time uh, for the, the stars and was able to basically pinpoint exactly an almost exact positioning of the map. Okay, so I'm I curious, tried. has anybody checked that map recently against like all these new in-depth photos and stuff that we have? Do you guys know? I'm just wondering. That, that I'm not actually sure no, about. Yeah. I don't think so. And like, it would be interesting to do that to see if there are any other star systems that are kind of laid out like that. And I, I think because our knowledge of the universe is so much yeah. bigger now. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is like um, the image that they showed and the one that she reproduced is like they showed her like trade routes that these humans yeah. yeah. had between planets. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. Why would they? Show hey, babe, want to go shop? Because it right. sounds to me like she made a friend, y'all. I think so. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Seems like there it. Was I think, I think whoever her guy was, her handler, just kind of got a little bit enamored of her because he answered all of her questions. Right. If, there was, if uh, showed her the best shopping. 
there was one being on that ship that she was terrified of. And I think she called him the supervisor. But um, he was a little different in that kind of uh, he resembled the, you know, the other um, abductors, but like had these really dark, rounded black eyes. And like you see the sketches that they have of this thing, it's just like it's eerie because like mm. this per this figure is kind of standing off to the side, just kind of watching everything that's going on. Like a she gets this menacing <laughs> feeling from this this figure, just like kind of like the uh, the opposite of the praying mantises in the uh, the David Huggins encounters. Like oh. that, that praying mantis is just down to stand there and, and watch and, him like yeah. have sex like the entire time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is the opposite. Oh man, like, oh man, <laughs> oh. <laughs> freaking aliens, man! I know. I know they got weird habits. Yeah, do. <laughs> At least Huggins got laid. I mean, there's that. So we got that. Yeah. Right. Yep. I just God, was it like some alien streaming room? Like, is, was he broadcasting it to the rest of the universe for all this right. weird alien <laughs> mantis buddies? This alien weird friend. <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> uh, Cole, did you get to your third? You said there was three, didn't you? Oh well, that was <laughs> the. It was the physical evidence, the psychological evidence, okay. and the corrobor- corroborating. That was okay. Like a, All right, a I wanted to make sure we didn't skip that. Now, oh no, I no, want to no. touch on the psychological just for a second because the one thing I found interesting that I have in my notes was that the guy who did the actual hypnosis did not believe them at all. Yeah, and I found that interesting. I found it, but he also said that they definitely had PTSD and they definitely had symptoms of somebody who had gone through something traumatic. Mm-hmm. But again, like I, I found that interesting that even though he's the one telling all these crazy stories, he's also saying that, you know, he didn't believe it, but here's the facts, here's the tapes. And I have heard excer- excerpts from those tapes. You like Cole said, you can't fake the feelings that were in the voices. Mm-hmm. I you haven't can't. heard hers, but I right. think I heard his. You know, um, and she. There are moments where she is very much the same. She, um, when they are giving her that pregnancy test, yeah, uh, she is. Yeah, she's yeah. pretty much crying the entire time. But yeah, well, I would, they didn't that's got release those tapes until they ended up they released them on the audiobook version of the interrupted journey like in the 80s it was read by oh. Whitley Strieber and oh. uh like i think like the second half cuz it was like an abridged version of the book yeah. they included like portions of those like it's it's only portions that you're hearing because yeah, they right. ended up doing like i, I want to say like at least 8 sessions or so oh wow it was yeah. months so yeah and there's like i think there's like i think like two hours worth of audio or something like that and they only are gonna release they only released like so much because it did it's even like what we're hearing now is just like the tip of the iceberg like it gets even yeah i guess so it gets even more disturbing and more intimate into their lives Mm -hmm. well as i remember he sounded very scared yeah like he sounded just terrified yeah and his account like the gentlemen have both said 
um, was way different than hers. He did mention something about them feeling like their eyes were pressing onto his eyes and mm-hmm. he couldn't move and couldn't think. And that frightened the shit out of me because like, mm-hmm. okay, it all frightens the shit out of me. We know that. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, his experience was a lot different. And another thing I find telling in their favor is the fact that they tried to inform the official people first. They didn't look for reporters. They didn't look to tell their story to the newspaper. They looked for scientists and officials that could help them figure out what happened to them. So that speaks a lot in their favor. You know, they didn't immediately go like, Hey, 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 I saw this. That you know, they wanted to please pay me money for me to tell yeah, you, right, right? Right, they <laughs> actually were, want they actually, I believe something happened to them because they, happened. you know, they very much wanted to find out what happened to them, and that freaks me out even more that they couldn't remember and that their memories were so spotty, you know, yeah. like and the lost time, the lost time ties in. And it's pre-internet, so they're not going to hear, like Cole said, the the corroborating stories from a few states over. Right. They're not going to hear that stuff. You know, it wasn't popular content back then, you know. Right. And uh, even in the UFO narrative at the time and in, like, the trends that were occurring in, uh, you know, UFO research and investigation in the 60s, this is, like, completely new like mm-hmm. something like this mm-hmm. uh, like it hadn't made kind of like the ufo journals by this point and um the only thing to proceed kind of the um the hills accounts are are two things one is the account of antonio vs boas which was yep. starting to be printed in flying saucer review in 1965 like january 1965 the hill story kind of gained publicity in september of 65 when john luttrell writes an article for the boston traveler uh it's like called like ufo chiller did uh you know ufo sees couple or something Mm. like that and did they um, take them yeah yeah (laughs) and uh so you have kind of the Antonio V.S. Boa story. It's in the UFO community a little bit to those subscribers. There are details in the story that are kind of shoddy, but um, basically because um, one researcher down in Brazil heard about the story and ended up going to track down Antonio V.S. Boa. Some of the details were kind of messed up, so the original investigator, a guy named Malavo Fontes, uh, basically comes out and says, well, there's details wrong, so we might as well get them right, and he gives the full account of the story. The only other time that an abduction narrative was in print, if you don't count kind of like the uh, proto-abductions that Jerome Clark talks about, whether you, you know, like guys like... uh, Colonel H.G. Shaw, if you believe his story, okay. you know, claims that he was almost abducted on the way to a flower festival in Lodi, California. Like the dude was <laughs> the dude was advertising a flower festival. He wanted to right. drum up advertising yeah. for it. Right. Um there are kind of a couple of other stories that um you know you can kind of look at as being um 
kind of precursors to abductions, but the only other story that ever appeared in print is the story of an unnamed man in Austria who ended up being abducted by aliens that kind of look more grayish in a way. They they kind of had big heads, big eyes, and stuff like that. They take them mm-hmm. to Mars, do a bunch of stuff with them. But it's uh, printed in a newspaper called the uh, the Prince George Citizen in British Columbia in 1957. Mm-hmm. Doesn't gain a lot of traction. Uh, it's kind of startling to the readers of the Prince George <laughs> Citizen. But like, um, the Hills are really the first kind of abduction to reach a wide audience. So. What's interesting is that after their account, abductions don't blow up. They don't become this big thing until many, like, decades later. It's uh-huh. like, you, there's a few stray accounts here and there that kind of gain a lot of press coverage, like the Pascula abduction, Pascula, Travis yeah. Walton. Um, there's, uh, you know, the... the um, Stanford 3 in Kentucky that kind of gets mm-hmm, a little bit mm-hmm. of press coverage, but it's not until... 87 when communion comes out intruders comes mm. out and like yeah. it just Blue fixes up. itself in uh you know kind of like not just in the um you know ufo world but it, it just starts to fix itself in pop culture and stuff to the point of where it is now Right, but um, yeah, it's just it was a very new thing for 1961 and even 1965 when the story is ultimately published, which is yeah. And I like you know those. I I actually love the pretext stories like that because it gives them so much more credibility. You know, there's no internet, there's no Google, there's no right. you know all of that. So, Cole, do you know did they test the powdery stuff? I mean, you mentioned the belly button stuff. Did they test, like, the powdery stuff they found? Okay, so upon apparently upon finding the dress, that's when um, Betty noticed this pink powdery material on the dress. Mm-hmm. And she decided to, or, originally, that she was going to hang it on a clothesline. So upon doing this, the powdery material... Away. Away. All right. I wondered. I wondered if they had any samples. They they did of it. They did run tests on the dress though. Okay. But did the they find anything? Stuff was gone. Um, did they find anything besides the belly button stuff? Well, th- that was that was more recently, but um, I believe it was eighty seven. Um, uh, they they go through this in in captured. They they discuss the full breakdown of the um, what they found onto the dress. And basically, they found a lot of. They said that it probably was by a lot, like what it was was biological, uh, the the material. But they mm-hmm. just didn't have a sample. I, I actually lie. It was. Uh, I was just looking at my notes real quick after that. Uh, 1977 was when they they started to look at the dress, and mm-hmm. upon doing the uh, spectroscopic emission test, they discovered large amounts of sodium, aluminum, iron, and magnesium on the fabric. There were also small amounts of manganese, calcium, and silicon. Um, he comments the powder substance is strange in relation to its organic elemental content. It appears to be high in undetermined organic hydrocarbons. So that was the full findings with the with the dress there. So they found some unusual um, chemicals and elements interacting with onto the dress as well. But of course, yeah. without the without the pink 
um, fabric, they weren't able to exactly determine what that was. Right. right. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Now, when she hung this dress out, <clears throat> excuse me, when she hung the dress outside, had they already done all the like hypnosis and all of that stuff? Yes, that was um, the dress. Like, like I said, they originally took the dress off after their experience and right. they put it into the closet right and they they wanted to dissociate from it then they started doing uh their uh hypnotic regressions and then they in 64 uh got the dress out and that's actually when she noticed all the pink yeah uh, substance on it you'd so. think she would tell somebody instead of just hanging it outside to blow away I mean, considering she'd already been doing all this, you would think that she would think that, but maybe not. Maybe she was afraid to or something. Right. But, I don't know. You know, I, don't you know. Would... I don't know. I think something happened to them. I really, really, you know, at, at the end of the day, 100%, I believe something happened to them. Um, I'm pretty much leaning in favor of believing them. You know, that's it's. whereas when we started this, I, I pretty much was kind of the other way. And, and mainly because the hypnosis thing, you know, it's like, I hate that kind yeah. of stuff, but I have listened to a few excerpts here and there. And when Cole said that, that brought it back to my head because, you know, I remember thinking that when I listened to it, like, wow, like that's super hard to fake, even for a good actor, yeah. you know, let alone mm-hmm. Joe Schmo, uh, post office guy, you know? Right. Right. I did want to tell y'all that uh i looked it up and in 1930 was the first amniocentesis okay and, oh, okay yeah and then in the 50s they also would do it also under strict medical stuff but th- they didn't start until the mid 70s to the yeah, 80s okay. starting to actually okay. do it a lot but they had come up with it in 1930 so she would have possibly known about it maybe yeah. i mean i wouldn't so. have known about it if not for google <laughs> <laughs> just now so that's probably right. something that was in medical journals or and something. back then when you had babies you just had babies there wasn't like a lot of doctor care you know right. it wasn't like it is now you weren't right. going in like they make you go in the last month of your pregnancy you got to go like in every, every week, week. Yeah. yeah they didn't care they're you know it's like whatever call me when you have it so there's that too so she she probably wouldn't have known about like no. some advanced procedure yeah i would say that know. was just in medical journals or something right all righty so what do you think tanya i think they saw something i think that it could have been an alien because there's a lot of stuff that they wouldn't have known mm-hmm. you know back in those days um I, t- I tend to think that maybe sometimes hyp- hypnosis people add stuff to the stories, add stuff to what you think. I don't know if he did. I don't know. But I tend to think sometimes they, they might make it worse. But they did see something. They did. Something happened to them. The only but- thing I say to that is, like, he wouldn't have added more detail because he didn't really believe him in the first place yeah he wasn't out to make his name on this abduction story right right i don't think from what i've read yeah i think something happened i think they saw something i think uh something did indeed happen to them whether it was aliens i i don't know i don't i've never seen one so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if they're real. I assume they are because uh, a lot of people see a lot of stuff. But uh, 
Yeah. I don't know. I, I think they saw, I think something happened to them. Military or aliens or whatever. I, I don't know right. why the military would have been after them, but um, something weird and terrible happened to them that scarred yeah. their life. <laughs> I think all of the evidence, all of the evidence corroborating the story really actually speaks in their favor. Now, Rob, I, what are your feelings on the Betty and Barney Hill case? You know, I don't see them making up a story like that. And, okay. you know, just just given the way that they're exper- they they chose to really try to get to the bottom mm-hmm. of their experiences it's pretty noble for you know for for the time because again this is something new like even even in the books that uh you know Betty went to the library to check out and stuff like that there there was nothing in there like her experiences and alien contact stories before theirs were you know the contactee stories of these folks who uh interacted with Venusians you know oh, yeah dudes with long blonde hair oh yeah saving the that. planet and yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean like that that message has always been there that's not the message that these beings were preaching they weren't <laughs> no. really preaching anything at all they were more interested in, in what were them we? and and what they were and, and who they were and I, I you know i always hear people say well what if they were stopped by you know like a lynch mob or something like that in the middle of the road and it's just like i don't see two members who were part of the naacp like lying about that their entire lives i Um, I just don't i'll tell you what 1960 it was what 1961 they would have been stopped by a lynch mob they wouldn't be here to tell their story my great probably wouldn't either but (laughs) turned mm-hmm. down by the kkk they did not mess around right so right. you know but um the, you know there were there were points where i think dr simon said that uh you know it was the stress of being in and in, in you know interracial marriage and stuff like that which like in everything that you read about them that wasn't the issue like the main issue in their lives was like their work schedules mostly and even then i don't think your work schedules are going to manifest into an alien abduction narrative i just don't see that happening (laughs) so i i do think something did indeed happen to them i don't know um exactly the full nature of that story and Mm -hmm. but like again just given the fact that stories like that didn't happen you know the at at that time really right the timing that it's 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 interesting it's intriguing and it kind of lends a little credence to what they experienced right all right cole what do you think um i definitely think that this is probably out there the most uh, it would have to be like the number one case that i'd have to i'd have to say it happened because because well one we we already discussed the the racial issue Mm -hmm. yeah and for me it's the same reason i think the chris davies lizard man encounter happened um it's the fact that here you have someone of color basically putting themselves out there with a story that's so out of the norm, especially in a time when such events as the KKK or extreme right. racial injustice. It's inviting negative attention. It, right. exa- exactly. 
So you and especially the fact that he was a civil rights major player in the area. Screw that up. No. So right. For me, that that's just kind of to come out with a story like this and say that it happened. That's just a a huge risk in general. That's a plus on their side, I think. The the racial thing because if Mm -hmm. that didn't happen, why the hell would you bring? That's what I'm saying. They were inviting. Yeah. Right. Right. Back then that they would do the opposite. I would think is try to stay out of the spotlight. And again, when they were looking for answers, they didn't go to like people that like the the media or anything like that. They went to like officials, people that they thought could give them actual answers. And that speaks to the fact that something that they couldn't explain happened to them. Yeah. You right. know, they couldn't find any explanation for it, right. you know, so. I mean, we all know what the real explanation is. It was the ultimate viral marketing campaign <laughs> as the Project Blue Book came to it, said, oh, man, what an advertising airplane that was. In the yes, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Did they say what it was advertising? No, they didn't. Buy a like, dicks. They, Buy a dicks, they yes. Kind of, Shop at dicks. They they basically uh yeah that like they changed their mind and said no nah, it was the planet Venus, which is you know kind of oh planet. yeah I read that too they yeah. they missed yeah, tried they missed saw the planet yeah oh you, um, when they were driving if you read Walter Webb's uh, report uh, because I think it's the only place that you can find it in there and. I don't know, maybe Walter Webb made it up, but he's like, the first determination was advertising plane. <laughs> the, that is silly. Yeah. I mean, they said, well, you know, they might have said it because usually people, military people, or people trying to prove something that didn't happen think you're stupid. Think the regular mm-hmm. everyday person is stupid mm-hmm. and that you're going to believe that. Right. The government hightailed their butts right over to hear their story, though, too. Yeah. Did they? You know, they did. They sent yeah. like a couple of people right away. Like there wasn't, they didn't have to wait. It happened very quickly. So that speaks to something there too. Right. Not like it was a military thing, but the military is like, okay, what the fuck? Shit. Right. What Are we being invaded? <laughs> <Right>. Fuck. <laughs> so yeah, so, I think we all think that, that it did happen. I think so too. And because Rick isn't here, we don't actually have a skeptic left at the end of it all. <laughs> yeah. Poor he Rick usually, believe he usually stays strong right until the end. He's had a few he's waving. Except for Bigfoot. He stays yeah, well, yeah. He, he really wants Bigfoot to be real. So we don't want poor I mean, Rick's heart do. to be broken. We do. We, we do. We I do, do believe Bigfoot. Me okay, and don't Jordan, agree on what Bigfoot is. I don't is. agree with Jordan Heath. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, if you're listening, I don't agree with you. He's not a mystical fairy guardian. Okay, buddy. Okay. <laughs> I didn't say he was a mystical fairy guardian. Jordan and, Jordan and Book oh, were saying oh. it, though. They were saying that Bigfoot is a tulpa created by hoaxers. Well, I mean, when you when you look at, like, because there are eras of Bigfoot that really make mm-hmm. you wonder, especially... Bigfoot in the 1970s because there were a yep. lot of anomalous Bigfoot encounters and you know especially when you you talk about like the the Momo stuff the Missouri monster stuff mm-hmm. uh, Union Town Indiana in 72 had s- some of the strangest uh Bigfoot UFO kind of stuff happening 
Um, there were people in Don't Pennsylvania. Don't break my heart, Rob. <laughs> yeah, there's people in 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 Pennsylvania in '74. There was yep. one account in which uh, I think it was like a guy ended up shooting at one in, the, in his front yard, and it just disappeared. Um, yeah, that's the Ohio there, Pile case. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's a case in 1960 from uh, the Monongahela National Forest. Yep. In which this guy was following behind a bus of um, some of, that had some of his friends on it. I mean, and his car like died, and he noticed this figure mm. off on the side of the road. Described it looking like I think like a five to six foot tall Bigfoot looking creature, and uh, it was there for a second. Kind of runs into the woods, and they continue on mm-hmm. until he stopped again. Sees this figure on the side of the road. This car is completely dead, and what he notices is that this Bigfoot's holding its hair up, and then it drops, like, kind of yeah. around its belly, drops its hair, and his car comes back to life. What? That's a little weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, it's a weird but story, why? but, like, there are a lot of weird stories like that of, you know, Bigfoot, UFO, mm-hmm. uh, this, like, anomalous connection, so it really does yeah. make you wonder, where do they come from? Okay, whatever. I just want him to be a smelly ape who's real. That's I it. I think. I think that's like, it. That's uh, all I wanted. One of the things uh, in investigating, like, and reading about the Momo stuff, is uh, I think the the smell may actually have to do with them appearing and materializing, because it seems like uh, there were other cases <laughs> around this time of people seeing up, UFOs Tanya. and and these smells kind of appearing especially in pennsylvania and stuff so like it, that kind of makes you wonder is that is like uh, a bigfoot a bigfoot appearing like it just every time it appears like you know comes through that ozone? portal, that portal uh, smells like ass every time <laughs> i don't know i think he just has celiacs and ate the wrong stuff okay that's, what, that's what i think he ate the wrong berries. Uh, he ate the wrong berries. And we're all just judging him now because he's smelly. Does he stink? <laughs> <laughs> all right, gentlemen. Thank you so, so much for participating in my spooky skeptics. This was a lot of fun. I yes, really, really Definitely. super enjoyed it. I, I, I can't thank you enough. This was awesome. I do hope, like, I know Cole will come back. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> but I do hope you will join us again, Rob. This was you're so knowledgeable and like it was really great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'd be happy to come back anytime. Awesome oh, sauce. Awesome. We'll try not to schedule it on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Wednesday, so. Yeah, well, <laughs> well tomorrow he's got all kinds of stuff. Oh, Thursday. I was just al- I was do. alluding to his his filling his Thursday up with yes. this stuff. all right folks thank you you for listening this has been spooky skeptics with tanya rob christopherson and cole harold night all bye Bye. see you later okay i'm leaving (laughs) (laughs) taking my ball and going home